Hi, everyone. Welcome to the seven day work week, the labor after labor podcast. Today, we're talking about that oh so beautiful time postpartum. I'm Em. And I'm Liz. As always, we uh, start our discussion off with a quote. Um, so this is from a celebrity, uh, you know, they're, they're just like us, um, Hayden Panettiere. Uh, she uh, <laughs> talked about uh, postpartum depression uh, and she said, when you're told about postpartum depression, you think it's, I feel negative feelings toward my child. I want to injure or hurt my child. I've never, ever had those feelings. Some women do, but you don't realize how broad of a spectrum you can really experience that on. It's something that needs to be talked about. Women need to know that they're not alone and that it does heal. There's a lot of misunderstanding. There are a lot of people out there that think that it's not real, that it's not true, that it's something that's made up in their minds. Oh, it's hormones. They brush it off. It's something that's completely uncontrollable. It's really painful and it's really scary and women need a lot of support. Um, So for me, there were a few things that uh, Miss Hayden Panettiere brought up that I thought were really insightful, one of which is that this idea that postpartum um, depression is experienced on a continuum. Um, so that there's not like one size fits all. And I feel like before I learned anything about it, um, I had this idea that postpartum depression was exactly what she said, like this idea that you wanted to hurt yourself or hurt your child. And so it felt mm-hmm. like something like not only that I didn't think would happen or that like if it did happen, it would be like really clear, um, like, okay, something is not right. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, this idea of it's not just that, that kind of, um, really scary version of it. There's, there's all kinds of ways in which, um, it manifests itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree because, uh, yeah, you hear these terrible, terrible stories on the news of women, you know, who obviously are going through some kind of postpartum depression or um, anxiety or whatever. And uh, they do terrible things that I don't want to talk about because it's really sad. So yeah, that's exactly what you think of. So it's either the one extreme of women going crazy and, you know, killing their babies and then the other side is oh it's no big deal it's the baby blues it's normal it's you just had a baby you're hormonal all your hormones are going back to normal and you know it's okay if you're just weepy or you know um you're just going through a little bit of a rough time you're not sleeping you're not eating but realistically when I looked up some of the very common symptoms of um postpartum depression and anxiety, they're very similar um, in a lot of their symptoms or, you know, appetite and sleep disturbances in both of them, crying in both of them. And that's can be seen as common. You know, you're not eating, you're not sleeping normally, but it's also could be something serious. So uh, yeah, I think it's, I'm glad she was so open and honest um, talking about it because she is a celebrity and people, you know, listen to celebrities and they idolize them and whatnot. But um, it has to be a more open discussion. It can't, mental health is something that gets shamed a lot and people feel a lot of guilt about it. Um, And we have to be more open about it. And you have to be um, more comfortable talking to your doctor or your husband or your mom or your friend or whoever, you know, you want to reach out to and talk about it. But um, I know you're you're technically postpartum. You're still in the 
postpartum realm. Um, Do you want to talk about that at all? Have you experienced any quote unquote mommy blues or anything like that? I mean, I, I, I'm like looking at this list that I found from um, the American Psychological Association now, which had some of the things you did. Um, I mean, I am not feeling any of these things. I don't think mm-hmm. fear, fear of being left alone. No fear of not being a good mother. I don't know. No, just general anxiety that, you know, um, I'm sleeping whenever I can. So no, I don't feel that I'm feeling these things. However, um, from what I've seen, it doesn't necessarily come right away. Right. Mm-hmm. That, uh, a few months down the line, you could experience some of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything I read, you could go up to a year. Yeah, so now I'm not necessarily experiencing any of the anxiety or depression disorder symptoms. I'm also not experiencing any of the um, the more extreme ones, the psychotic or bipolar episode ones. Um, uh, so, so yeah, uh, I'm not I'm not feeling it, but um, you know. I am feeling other things with postpartum recovery. Yeah, which we'll definitely, we'll definitely get into that. Uh, One thing though, so I was looking up uh, postpartum anxiety and I read it and then it made me think of a story that we talked about uh, like a couple weeks ago. And one of the, um, of postpartum anxiety is feeling something bad is going to happen to you or your baby. And we had that whole conversation about how, all of a sudden they're here and they're so fragile. And what if I'm walking through the kitchen and there's a knife on the counter and, oh my God, the knife's going to fly off and stab my baby somehow. Like it's totally uh, irrational, but I I read that and I thought of the story and I just kind of laughed. I was like, okay. You're right. We did talk about this or I have this, um, I have this like sharp corner on the dresser and I feel like every time I take Margot to go get a diaper change in the middle of the night, I just feel, I just get this vision like her soft little fontanelle is going to just jam right into the corner of that dresser. And I'm just like grasping her and like, don't, don't go to the dresser, don't go to the dresser. <laughs> and I just have this like awful vision of it happening, um, which I don't know if that is a symptom of an anxiety disorder or just, I have this fragile thing and I'm responsible for it and I feel scared for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm interrupting you a lot, but I, uh, yeah, that could just be something that's normal because I have the same thing. Like I would be in a certain area or I'd be around, for some reason, the kitchen, the stove, knives, everything. I was just like, ooh, like you're just not going to go in the kitchen. Yeah, I told you I'm afraid of my KitchenAid falling on her. It's like really heavy. Like anyone, time she's in the kitchen, I'm like, is that going to move? Like it doesn't. It stays right there. It's extremely heavy. It doesn't jump and leap off the counter spontaneously. Uh, but I just feel like, oh my God, it's going to crush her. Uh, which is bizarre. <laughs> Not to laugh. Yeah, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I could go on about this. But it's like, an, I don't know that that means that I have a depressive disorder though. Um, you know what I mean? Which is sometimes like a, you know, critique that I have of, um, psychology that sometimes I think things get like things are normal kind of um weird things that happen to you when you change they aren't necessarily demonstration of a disorder one thing that um the American Psychological Association says regarding actual diagnosis of yourself with postpartum depression is that it lasts longer than two weeks um so that's like one of the things that it's it's not something that's just like kind of a one-off or it just happens but it's 
an unremitting um, uh, presence of that. Um, so, so yeah, I, I just, you know, overdiagnosis is a thing, overmedicalization of a thing is a thing. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just, uh, on the one hand, you need to be like, if you are feeling these things, you need to get help. Um, and that's a really important thing. Um, but then on the other hand, I think, uh, there's also some things that are just sort of normal. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And I think you just have to do what's best for you. Um, we're going to link a couple of resources in the show notes, just in case anyone out there is feeling any kind of uh, postpartum anxiety or depression or, you know, anxiety, or depression in general. There's resources on the internet, especially now with COVID, there's digital resources. Um, so if you're feeling anything, we'll link a couple of things below. But yeah, I think it's just a really important thing to always talk to your healthcare provider about. Um, I have anxiety. I have terrible anxiety. And um, I never felt that it got worse after she was born. I don't know if Michael would agree with me necessarily, but I felt like, okay, this is kind of like my normal baseline anxiety self um, with certain, you know, she's not breathing, you know, those moments when you just watch him sleep for a minute. But other than that, it was fine. And I remember um, talking to my doctor about it. And I was like, I don't know if this is something that you do or I have to go see someone different. But, um, you know, if I was to be having anxiety, would you be able to be someone who could like prescribe something to me if that's a direction I wanted to go? And she was like, oh, yeah, we do this all the time. Like, you know, it was like nothing to her. Um, and that was your OB? That was my OB. Yep. And that was great. I mean, because I didn't know. I thought maybe I'd have to go to some kind of outside source for that. Um, and she gave me a script and I never filled it. I sat on it and it's probably still in my car, quite honestly, um, because it's just the, you know, medication isn't for me. I do much better with like um, counseling or some kind of therapy rather than medication. I just I don't personally like it. But again, everybody's different and everybody experiences postpartum different. And, you know, there's no shame. And if you are having anxiety or depression or anything it's just it's part of the journey and if that's part of it you know then just make sure to go talk to somebody about it yeah yeah, yeah. so um one thing I thought was kind of interesting and it's when I read it I was kind of like duh but have you heard of paternal depression pppd no yeah so it's postpartum depression for your spouse okay so um, let's see, it says, according to postpartum depression in men from postpartumdepression.org, 25% uh, of new dads experience some kind of postpartum depression, 10% report it. For them, or spouse, I shouldn't just say dad, for spouse, um, it's more so the change, the abrupt change, the change in their environment, the change in their wife, their change in their lifestyle, the, you know, like the stressors and everything. And uh, so it's not necessarily anything chemical. Like I feel like with postpartum depression, women tend to do like some of it is associated with chemical imbalances in your brain, like um, estrogen changes and whatnot. But men, it's mainly, I mean, it's environmental. But I just thought it was interesting. Like, duh, that kind of makes sense because yeah, your life is completely changing. Why wouldn't it 
possibly make men depressed or anxious or whatever. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, right. So this is, again, where I come with this, like, awful critique where it's like, okay, so a few things. So if 25% of new dads experience it, it's just interesting numbers to me. Because the numbers I found from um, the American Psychological Association for postpartum depression in new mothers was one in seven, which works out to, if I did, did I do this math right? Is that 14%? I got 15% on women. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's interesting that they're suggesting it's higher in men, um, which I, I, women are stronger than men, as we know. I mean, I mean. Uh, I'm, I'm joking, of course, but it's interesting that there's a disparity in numbers. Um, also, maybe it's because it's much wider diagnostic criteria because in postpartum depression they're in the dsm which is the the book it's the big book of mental disorders it's what psychiatrists and practitioners use to diagnose you um that the the dsm says that there needs to be existence of um hormonal imbalance uh or a somatic uh or cognitive change um so with the diagnosis for postpartum depression, it's required that it's not just a social thing. It is a, um, it is an actual imbalance in your brain that's, you know, demonstrates there, this is a mood disorder. Uh, mm -hmm. this isn't just your environment. Right. And that's mm -hmm. the, that's the concern with overdiagnosis because it's like, if it's the environment and then your treatment is drugs, you're not really treating the problem you're just medicating so that you can deal with a problematic environment. And so then it's, it, it actually maybe makes sense that it's higher in men without this diagnosis of, without this requirement of a somatic or cognitive change, because yeah, um, I, I, in America anyway, we're completely, um, you know, dismissive of, uh, maternity leave and, uh, making a room in our society for women to experience, uh, life with a new baby. Um, and, and if we're, we're that way with women, we're even more so with men, um, mm -hmm. where paternity leave is even less common. Um, yeah. and, and, and men are, um, you know, there's an entire macho culture, like even in these numbers where you say 25% of new dads experience it, but only 10% report, it speaks to this kind of macho culture where I wouldn't admit that I was feeling differently, but yeah, I wonder, is it, is it because there's an actual chemical change in your brain for the partner or is it that your whole world is turned upside down and so it's a societal change and we as a society don't help men to deal with that and so it feels really you know depressing for instance and it might not be a real cognitive change but it's uh it's depressing and challenging nonetheless correct yeah i couldn't find anything conclusive about uh whether or not they believe it is a chemical change. Mm -hmm. um, everything I was reading seemed to be more um, environmental. So, and I don't know if it is in, uh, you mentioned it. What's it the called? DSM. The big, DSM. Thank you. Yeah. The big book of everything. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it's even recognized as a diagnosis. I'm assuming it is if, you know, I found it in a couple places and it's got a fun little acronym. What's it called? Um, PPPD. It gets an extra P. So it's partner postpartum depression. Correct. Interesting. Or no, paternal. Oh, paternal. paternal. So they are saying it's male, which maybe is just gendered and they're not acknowledging that they're same sex uh, partners. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 
So I just, I, I found that really interesting and it was just kind of like, a, oh, duh. I mean, like, yeah, but it's, again, it's something you don't talk about. Yeah. And I again, mean, when I could like harp on this like chemical thing, that's not to say that these feelings aren't real, that these feelings aren't valid. It's just to say like, well, if the problem's environmental, how do we treat the environment instead of making it the individual and putting them on, you know, mood stabilizing drugs that maybe will have bad side effects or, you know, um, fuel the fuel the pharmaceutical industry right you know um <laughs> no exactly that's uh that's why I said earlier I am not someone and again just me I don't like myself on antidepressants or anti um anxiety medication I I yeah so it was much uh more helpful to me to go to an actual person and work through it and find things to work through everything so uh yeah I don't I really I didn't know but I thought it was interesting, so I want to talk about yeah. it really quick. No, it's very interesting. No, I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. Um. So what other kind of, you know, I think everyone thinks of postpartum depression as one of the big kind of postpartum things that women go through. However, um, I mean, the list goes on and on and on about all the things that you go through postpartum. So what postpartum symptom or however that have you experienced that you were not prepared for? Um, I was not prepared for the pain um, and how much my body was going to change, especially immediately after labor. I There was maybe two months before I gave birth, um, my friend who had just given birth was talking about, I asked her what to pack in my hospital bag and she said pads, and I said, "Oh, like how? I, I didn't know that I needed that." She was like, "Oh yeah, you bleed a lot after," and I was like, "Oh, for how long?" And she was like, "Weeks," and I was like, "What?" And then her husband rudely was like, "I find it disconcerting that you didn't know that," and I was like, oh, "I find you to be an asshole." Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, and, and it's <laughs> my doctor never mentioned it people don't talk about it, right? Like this is this thing that we're going to talk about. I'm sure in this episode, there's this total stigma around discussing what's going on for mom post-labor. Like there's no shortage of discussion about how to care for your baby, the products that you need for your baby, but the discussion around what's happening to your body immediately after labor is not talked about. Uh, so uh, I, uh, I, I was not prepared for the fact that buckets of blood were going to be pouring out of my body and that that was normal. I kept like when they would do that um, exam to make sure that, you know, your insides are settling properly and they would look at how much blood was on my doggy pee pad that was on my bed. Um, <laughs> I kept expecting them to go, whoa, rush this chick to the emergency room. She is bleeding way too much because you shift and you feel it. It's not like a period, right? And then I expect it to be like a period, but it's not. It's in those first few days, it is pouring out of you, you shift and you feel blood coming out of you. And um, I was completely unaware of that. I thought that there, I was hemorrhaging blood and I needed to go to the emergency room. And every time they're like, okay, everything looks good. I was like, really? This is what it's supposed, this is proper healing? Why did no one tell me this? Um, right. So I'm glad I had had that one kind of warning to bring pads, but no, my, my doctor didn't talk to me. No one talked to me about this, um, except for when I asked, what should I bring in my baby bag? Oh, bring some pads. Um, and so even it's not yeah. a discussion about 
by the way, this is what happens to your body. It's like this roundabout way of how to be prepared and what things to bring. That, and then I even got to that discussion. Yeah. That, when you said that's interesting because you're right. Yeah. My doctor never once mentioned that either. I don't know why I knew that. I've had a couple friends um, who've had kids prior to me. So I'm assuming that's how I knew about it because I did know like that you're going to bleed. It's a thing. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like there's no preparedness. There's no like you may experience X, Y, and Z. It's totally normal, you know, until it's happening. I remember, um, I have a different story that I'll tell, but I just remember in the hospital, whilst, you know, you're bleeding just buckets and buckets of blood, they're like, oh, by the way, when you go to the bathroom, make sure to look. If there is a clot larger than a quarter, please let us know. You didn't get that? Oh, yeah. I was told if, whilst this is happening, if a clot larger than, we all know how big a quarter is, comes out of you. Then let us know. Anything smaller than that, you're all good. <laughs> That's alarming. That's a large. So I'll get into my story. Um, I don't even know how to start this. So uh, a couple days, I was home for a couple days at this point. And, um, you know, you're still bleeding continuously at this point. And um, I, to backtrack slightly. So after I delivered, they continued me on Pitocin after Charlie um, was born and everything was out. And, you know, because um, because of my hypertension, they were worried about mm. hemorrhaging. So um, I was continually given Pitocin um, to kind of like help shrink my uterus. And it's called a uterotonic drug. Um, and it just helps bring the uterus back down to size. I from what I understand. Right? but. Um, yeah. So anyway, I was kind of in the back of my head thinking like, oh, I could possibly be at a higher risk for like hemorrhaging, you know? So like, it's just kind of in the back of my head, but I'm not thinking about it. So anyway, a couple of days go by and one of my best friends is over. My husband's there. I'm sitting on the couch. I'm pumping. And all of a sudden, like shit you not, I thought I was going through labor again. Like contraction level pain started happening. And I mean, I was literally on the floor, like hunched over the uh, couch, like sobbing. I was like, what is happening? Mike gets on the phone with my doctor. Doctor's like super calm. He's like, oh yeah, this is totally common. This is just some women experience this pain um, that feels like a labor contraction because your uterus is again contracting down to size and it takes a long time. We, you know, I don't know exactly, but it takes a while for that to happen you know, you don't have a baby and have washboard abs again, you look pregnant for a couple of weeks afterwards. And uh, so anyway, the doctor was just like, yeah, um, take some Motrin and uh, best of luck. I was like, okay. And all I could think of was like, get in the shower, like try to, you know, like heat, alleviate the pain. And I was in so much pain, I ripped the towel rack oh off the God. wall. I... Yeah. And Mike just runs upstairs like, are you okay? And I'm just like, no, obviously I'm not okay. But yeah, I took, you know, Motrin and just waited it out and everything was fine. But again, like that was terrifying. Like, do I need to go? Am I dying right now? Do I need to go to the hospital? And they're just like, you're good. No worries. And it's like, why didn't they warn you? And I wonder if it had, do you think it had anything to do with um, your, um, 
Oh, I'm forgetting what it was called. The hypertension? Yes, hypertension. Yeah. Did, are you at increased risk or it's just totally a crapshoot who gets it? No clue. I I th- I am interested to know uh, if anyone else has had that experience, but I'm thinking maybe crapshoot. I didn't look it up. I have no clue. Yeah, and it's like it's like again, it's like why are we not having these conversations with our OBs um, until it's happening? Right, and maybe there's something to be said for if I tell you everything that might happen, you might get anxious and freak out. Um, and so I don't tell you unless I need to. So. I'm sure there's something to be said for that. Um, But yeah, it feels like I kind of would like to be warned. (laughs) Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Totally. Any other um, postpartum physical changes? I have some more, but. um... I had one thing I wanted to discuss about bleeding. Um, I found a study and it was entitled excessive bleeding is a normal cleansing process. Um, a qualitative study of postpartum hemorrhage among rural Uganda women. Mm. And this is from 2016. So obviously um, we're talking about low-income nations, nations where it's very uh, common to either birth at home or birth with, what did they call them? Um, more or less a midwife, traditional birth attendants, TBA. Um, so the study interviewed six women who gave birth at home and then nine of these attendant women, and they got their stories and everything. Um, and then I also looked it up on the UNICEF website and this got me down a really dark hole, but like mortality rates in women, um, from hemorrhaging because it is the highest complication percentage complication for women death associated with giving birth like 27 percent or something like it's the highest thing um and africa and asia were the two highest that had um these hemorrhaging issues and deaths or whatever but again they're in countries that or nations or you know that um deliver at home a lot because either they're you know, they don't have the transportation to get to a hospital. They don't have the money to get to a hospital. And then I also read in this study um, that there's a negative viewing of the hospital. Like, oh, the nurses are going to be mean to me or, um, you know, I'm not going to be treated correctly by the doctors. So I'm just not going to go. Like, there's not that kind of idea that medicine is or standardized medicine is the best practice it's just like we can you know we've been doing this at home for years and years and years your aunt's gonna assist this midwife's gonna come by and assist it's just you know it's what it is um and they asked these women do you know the um what's it called like signs of um postpartum hemorrhaging and pph yeah postpartum hemorrhaging and uh, a lot of them did. But the interesting thing is the way they measured it was not what I would think of. Like they called it, if a woman is bleeding two fistfuls, fistfuls of blood, then it's okay. Any more than that is a sign of hemorrhaging. And another woman even said, oh, I carry this plastic cup to all my births. And if she bleeds into the plastic cup and that's all, then it's okay. But if there's any more than that, um, or less than, you know, I'm going to try to get her to a hospital, which sometimes isn't possible, you know? Um, there was a woman who told a story where 
she was in labor and her husband, it was the middle of the night and he couldn't get access to a cart or a car and she couldn't sit on a bike. She was in labor. So she walked and just found a house and a random person helped her deliver her baby in her house. Like, wow. it's just very, yeah. And I, it was a very interesting study, but yeah. And they talked about, um, what else did she say? That if a woman is hot i'll give her a cold drink because the cold drink or the cold pop will help um contract her uterus like it's all these things that i don't know if it's even based in any kind of medical background um but this is the women like and it's kind of distributed around this area in uganda that like this is what we constitute as like hemorrhaging or like what we constitute you know um and the numbers are high and it's because there is this knowledge, but it's not like based in traditional medicine. Yeah, it brought up so many interesting things for me because, so first of all, it reminded me a lot of the discussion we were having in our last episode um, where we talked about um, midwives and quote unquote natural birth versus medical intervention. So if you haven't listened to that episode, listen to episode two. Um, but yeah, because so first of all, it's like this is located. What we were talking about last week was like the United States versus Britain, which are both, quote unquote, industrialized or developed nations. Whereas when you talk about Uganda, this is a, quote unquote, undeveloped nation or it's a nation in the, quote unquote, global south where you have um, a lack of um uh, technology or uh, Western influence um, with kind of standardized medical technique. And so it's interesting where it's like a country like Britain, like in theory goes from this kind of their progression is like uh, traditional births with midwives to medical births in the 20th century and then back around to reinvest in the traditional. But then it's like put in this hospital setting. So there's this kind of like um, way in which it's like it, it was they they went from there to a new thing and then went back to the roots, you know? Um, and in, in this scenario, it's like, there's never been the influx of Western knowledge. And so when we talk about, you know, um, why you have higher uh, death rates, it's obviously there's so much. And then it's so interesting because if I walked down the street um, while bleeding and in birth and knocked on all of my neighbor's doors, I don't think that I would find someone who knew how to help deliver my child in Chicago. Um, but this woman in Uganda, there's that not, is able to find someone who can help because that knowledge is like localized in the women who live and they have that experience. But then on the other hand, if something gets complicated, you don't necessarily have the technology or the know-how to deal with saving your life when you might need it. Yeah. And the other thing I forgot to mention is the idea of quote unquote dirty blood mm. that came up a lot in the article because the blood passed after birth was considered dirty blood. And if you weren't passing that blood, um, women believe that it would clog your um, ovaries or it would stay inside your uterus and you get an infection. I mean, there is some uh, truth to that, like with like your placenta and whatnot. But so the other flip side of that is if you're bleeding a lot, they're just thinking it's normal. This is me expelling all this dirty blood. However, it might be too much. And then this is where things get bad. And I think it's so interesting that it's like, you know, 
in our context, they would tell us like how many mils of blood would be danger, which by the way, as an American, I wouldn't understand. Um, <laughs> I need it in cups, please. Um, but uh they have this idea of fistfuls, which is so interesting because like that's that context of measurement that makes sense. Uh, so it's really interesting. Um, and two, that in America, like I remember when Margot was born, they said, do you want her weight in um, grams or in pounds? And I was like, pounds, what, what do you think I am? <laughs> like, <laughs> why would I want, I don't understand what grams are. Or maybe it was, pounds. I don't even know. I don't even know what they asked me, but I was like, pounds, come on. Um, yeah, that is so interesting. And then, of course, that they have a negative view of the hospital. So it's like, even though there are, of course, hospitals in Uganda, there is, of course, some Western medicine. It's not this idyllic place that has never been touched by the West. Of course, that exists, but there's mistrust about it. So it's mm-hmm. not um, it's not even necessarily something that they would take advantage of. And so, yeah, it's those complicated scenarios that uh, result in the higher mortality rates. Yeah, and the idea of hot cold, right? Or dirty, right? Like, there's, I guarantee you, there is medical truth in that. There has but it's to be. just a completely different way of configuring the knowledge that's so interesting. There has to be. I mean, because women have been giving birth there, I mean, forever. I mean, women have been giving birth everywhere forever. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you have, there has to be some kind of truth or some kind of um, reason behind this fistful of blood or, you know, the fizzy cold drink, which another midwife was like, no, no, no. I give my people tea. So, you know, there's conflicting stuff there anyway. Um, I think it's each midwife, uh, has their own version of it, Yeah. but yeah, I just, you know, and cause we talk about, or we're so involved in Westernized medicine that it's just like, oh yeah. Remember how not everyone does it this way. And there's people who are just out there giving birth at their neighbor's front lawn. Like, yeah, that, that happens. That's normal. So we're going to switch gears now and talk about some stuff that has happened to our bodies postpartum. Liz, anything you want to talk about? Yeah. So another thing that I wanted to share with everyone with like in terms of postpartum recovery that I was not expecting changes to my body was um, I got uh, essentially diaper rash um, from the pads that I was using. Um, so I had originally bought these really bougie pads, the Real brand. Um, from Target and they were beautiful and they worked beautifully and I had no issue. And then they didn't carry them at Walgreens. So I got um, always cotton pads, which, you know, they had bougie marketing on them. They were like, oh, they're cotton. And they were like light blue colors. And I was like, this is also going to be good. And I went through two boxes of those. And at the end of the second box, I realized I had developed an awful rash from wearing pads for two weeks straight. Um, and then I looked it up because I was like, is this a thing? And I found a few websites that were talking about always pads um, being notorious. You know, midwives were talking about them. They were saying, oh, those are notorious for causing terrible rashes postpartum because you're wearing pads longer than you ever would in your five to seven right. cycle. I don't wear pads anyway. Um, and they gave me this horrible rash. Um, and so, you know, uh, thank goodness that everyone had given me extra strength desitin for Margot. She hasn't used it yet, but <laughs> it, uh, if we could be sponsored by desitin, I, I would yeah. give them a huge plug right now because um, uh, it, it worked. Um, and then I went and bought this other, you know, another like cotton hypoallergenic version and I'm fine now. Um, but yeah, that's something that no one warned me about that's sitting and having a pad on constantly for now we're in week like three and a half um, was going to like 
totally tear up my skin on top of the fact that I have stitches um, and I'm still bleeding, right? It's like, it's all of these gross, nasty things. And if you're cringing right now, it's like, and that's why people don't talk about it. And that's why I had no idea that I was going to bleed after my period because everyone's grossed out by, or after my, after labor because everyone's grossed out by it and doesn't want to talk about it. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just shaking my head here because it's like, it's funny, but it's true. It's like the last thing you need on top of everything that you've already got going on. You're right. You, you've got stitches down there. Um, when people who haven't had babies, uh, you can't wipe for a long time because you have stitches. So if you wipe, oh my God, does that hurt? So they give you this lovely little thing called a peri bottle that you fill with warm water and you got to like do that little awkward walk over to your sink to fill it up, to come back to the toilet, to rinse off. It's and then on top of that, you have diaper rash. Like, that's just what else can we throw on there? Like, what else do you need that's just going to make you? And, you know, a very common thing that more people don't like to talk about. But, you know, like you can get hemorrhoids from giving birth. Like, what else can we do to your down south that's just going to destroy it? Like, what do you got? On top of it, it's just so hard to move, right? Like, you're so weak. Like, I, I was saying this to you. Um uh, I was so afraid of leaving the hospital because I was so afraid of not having the hospital bed that could move me up and I could grab onto the rails and get out of bed. Mm -hmm. I was like, I am trying to care for a little tiny baby for the first time. I'm breastfeeding for the first time. She needs to be fed every two to three hours. I'm waking up in the night. I'm exhausted. How am I going to go home when I don't have a hospital bed? Right. Like that was all I could think about. Like I need to be able, it needs to be able to sit me up. I need to be able to pull my, how am I going to do that? without this hospital bed. No, I'm staying another day. And I, I just like totally, that was what was scaring me. They were like, how did breastfeeding go? And I was like, you know, she's latching. That's okay. They're like, all right, well, you know, if you want to go home, I was like, I need the hospital bed. No. And I just, I, I that was just all that I could think about. Um, Cause you're so weak um, and tired. Um, and you know, they can tell you, you know, it's tiring, but you just, until you've experienced it, it's like, you don't realize how physically exhausted you are mm -hmm. after giving birth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I always make the joke with Mike. It's like, remember before kids when we were like, oh, we're tired. We're not going to go out. Like you don't know tired until you have children. Yeah. I totally hear what you're saying about sleep. I haven't had a full night's sleep and I don't see it happening anytime soon. Um. Yeah, can I transition back to what you said about the peri bottle? Because I actually wanted to talk about that and this whole line of uh, Freedom Mom products that have come out. So if you know Freedom Baby, Freedom Mom is a new line that was actually released this year in 2020. Um, and I I saw it on a friend's registry list. It pissed me off instantly because, you know, I'm like, you know, a crazy anti-capitalist. And I, 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 uh, I see this thing and I'm like, this is a giant ripoff because it's a kit that costs you $50. Um, and it gives you essentially all of the stuff that the hospital gives you for free. Okay. It's got, you know, at the hospital, they give you those like, uh, crackable ice pads, um, for, to, to help, uh, heal the swelling in your, uh, uh, area. Um, and they give you witch hazel and they give you the peri bottle to spray and help you clean yourself. And they give you, um, uh, I brought my own pads, of course. And then they give you the disposable underwear. Right. And so this, 
uh, Freedom Mom kit that costs $50 when you could get it for free from the hospital gives you those things. It's disposable underwear, but it's like gray, so it's cuter. There's Witch Hazel um, uh, in there that like retail, by the way, if you need to buy more, uh, TN Dickinson's Witch Hazel cloths are $6.99, whereas the Freedom Mom Witch Hazel cloths are $11.99. Um, so there's this huge like markup on everything. And then they have a peri bottle, but you can use it. Um, it's got like a, it's got like a little, it, it's like anti-gravity. So it's like better at getting there. But then in the, in the target reviews of it, um, it was, uh, there were the like three different people that said it leaks all over me. Oh, lovely. And then there was like the freedom on person responding like, Oh no, mama. Uh, we got you. We'll send you a, it seems like you have a defective one. We'll send you a new one. So you, so there seems to be some like quality control issues. Okay. So I set out, all this is to say it's definitely marked up. Oh yeah. And it's definitely cuter. Okay. And so all this is to say though, that I kind of changed my mind after I kept reading about it more. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I did um, because I read there was one person on Target's review um, that kind of shifted my thinking about it. And so what she said was great kit, five stars. And she had a whole kind of description of it. And the thing she said on here was the kit's packaging and marketing reduce the stigma of postpartum care and make it something that is more about comfort and luxury than the standard hospital grade items. And so, yes, is it problematic that you're buying your way to a feeling? Yeah. Uh, but it's true. We don't even talk about this thing. You do feel terribly bulky and gross in that like hospital pack. Like those underwear don't fit well. And the freedom on ones do. Um, those little witch hazel pads they give you. Um, I remember at one point Jason was like helping me like make my thing. I was like, do you know what you're doing? He's like, yeah, it's like making a pizza. I'm just putting the provolone here. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, they do. It looks like little slices of provolone. Thank you. That makes me feel really beautiful. Um, but the pads that, um, the Freedom Mom makes, the witch hazel pads, they like had to design a special machine to cut them the right size. Oh. And so like they cut, they're cut to actually fit your body oh. so that it's not like going up in a weird place while you're sitting. And then you're like trying to pick it out from mm -hmm. your nether regions. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the pads, like at the, at the hospital, you know, you have that ice pack and then you put a pad on, whereas these are pads that have an ice pack built into them. And so you're not even having to do that thing where you make the padsicle and like put it in your fridge. I was going to ask if you did that. Yeah. It's pre-made. Uh -uh. Um, it, it is $19.99 for eight of them, uh, but it is convenient um, and it's designed for you. So you don't feel like a nasty, bulky, monstrous freak the days after recovering. So I actually kind of, it's definitely pricey. Um, and by the way, in that like pack, they don't even include the Perry bottle that's $16.99 sold separately. And by the way, a Perry bottle costs 95 cents. Um, Oregon is free from the hospital. No, they give it to you. I haven't talked to anyone. Yeah, I got two. Yeah, I haven't talked to anyone who didn't get those supplies. Um, but this one is pink and it has a little case. Um, so right, I, 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 on the one hand, roll my eyes at marketing because it's not substance, you know, it's just form. Um, but on the other hand, that person's review about making it cute does kind of gesture towards having more conversations about this or, or feeling, um, not gross. Uh, yeah. 
I really thought we were just going to sit here and like shit on it. I thought we were just going to like tear it to shreds. Uh, but when I Googled it to look more into it, um, Etsy popped up hmm. and people on Etsy are selling postpartum kits as well. Hmm. And it's with that in mind, more of like, yeah, we know you can go to Walgreens and buy a pad. And yeah, we know you can do this. However, look, it's in this nice box and it's pink and it'll make you feel a little more feminine. And I'm also going to throw in some lavender tea for you. And, you know, I'm going to throw in this candle that smells nice so you can feel good about yourself and you can feel like, yeah, I'm not a blob sitting in the hospital trying to, you know, yeah, ah. Like, yay, but also like, ah, like I thought we were going to just be like, know, Frida. Um, and the other thing that I forgot, I don't, I don't know if they run it anymore. Um, there was a, there was a commercial. Have you ever seen the Frida commercial? Yep. I was going to talk about that next. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah. If you haven't seen this. So first of all, I, did it ever actually air on any network television? No, I think it got taken down. Yeah, so they wanted to air it during the Oscars because there's 18 million women glued to their televisions during the Oscars. And this is a new brand, as I said. And so this year in February during the Oscars, um, they wanted to run it. But ABC said that it was too graphic. Um, it had partial nudity. Um, the partial nudity, by the way, was a woman's um, uh, stretch mark. Uh, there, <laughs> there was no, you know, what we traditionally consider nudity, but apparently... Um, a woman's unshrunken uterine uh, stomach is, uh, you know, graphic, disgusting uh, imagery. Yeah, uh, so they wouldn't run it. I did find, um, so maybe we should just talk about what the ad is. Um, it's it's very simple. It's something that every woman who's had a child has experienced, which is the baby is crying and wakes you up and you get up and have to go to the bathroom and you have to change your hospital grade underwear pack um and so you're stumbling to the bathroom because you're weak and she sits down and she go uses the bathroom and then she throws away her old ice pack and her old pad and her old witch hazel and then she like does the process of putting it back together again and then going back to bed and it i don't know maybe i am having postpartum depression because i cried when i watched the commercial but it was so <laughs> it is exactly what it's like oh it's it's so it's so accurate. It was such like when I, I agree, because it came out about the time when I was going through it. And yeah, I don't I think I cried, too, because it's it was so spot the way she like hobbled over to the bathroom because she was in so much pain. And she just like, it, uh, oh, my God, it was such good marketing. I was like, this is exactly right. And it was, you know, not not fit for eyes, not fit for viewing. Yeah, and it was so sort too because the ad also had the baby crying in the background. Yeah, and it's like oh. speaking to this like you want to self care at this moment because you feel so gross, but there's also this implicit guilt that you're feeling because the baby's crying. But like, how are you going to nurse the baby right now when you have like blinding pain and you really need a new ice pack, um, and you're bleeding everywhere and feel like it's like, and so it's that pull of motherhood and like yourself and your baby um and so yeah it's like it's really depressing that they didn't air the ad um i did read um uh an article from adage that suggested that freedom mom knew that it wouldn't be accepted 
they submitted it before, like only a week before the Oscars and then never responded to the suggested edits and probably wanted a media buzz around this got rejected and then more people probably watched it anyway and then had a conversation. But I don't, I don't say, I don't think that that um, negates it really because what it did was call attention to the fact that you know, it's insane that, and like, also you can't talk about you and ABC during certain events, like big things, for instance, in Oscars, um, they don't have, you, you can't advertise for tampons either. Really? And all feminine, yeah, all feminine hygiene stuff is considered unacceptable um, for like an event of that, that caliber, right? They don't want it. And so it's unsurprising that it was, but it calls attention in a way that you couldn't do otherwise. If you just started saying, did you know that like no one cares, but when you have this great ad that speaks to so many women and it's rejected, then you get to have the conversation around it. Um, and so bless you, Margaret. I was going to say, are those baby sneezes? Yeah, those oh are my baby goodness. sneezes. <laughs> um, so uh, you, um, I just lost my train of thought. Um baby sneezes they do that i know don't they they're so cute they're just so cute um so uh but but it is interesting because the whole freedom mom um uh, chelsea hershorn is the ceo of of frida baby and she after having her i think second kid said you know um this is just not like good enough care like how can we make this more mom centric and one of the things she pointed out was there's no postpartum recovery sections in stores. So like it was problematic to make the line because one, where do you even put it? Yeah. Um, and two, um, she points out that there's uh, maybe two brands that service the 4 million moms who are born each year. Um, but there's how many, uh, you can't possibly count the number of brands that service the 4 million babies that are born in America each year. And so it's really interesting where it's really, again, from a marketing perspective, it's kind of a no brainer where it's like, you're leaving out half the demographic Right. for every new baby. There is a new mom. Right. Um, and, and how are you, and we're not at all servicing her in our culture at all. And again, it's the stigma of it's gross. It's icky. You're bleeding at stitches yeah. and, and diaper rash yeah. as an adult. So interesting. Ah, yeah. And the other thing, like, I wasn't even thinking about this until now, but like, I remember when I was packing my bag and I was just kind of like watching YouTube videos, like what I should pack. And all those women were like, well, I'm going to pack my own like gown that I can wear. So I feel comfortable. And I was just like, it's just, it's going to get disgusting. Why do you want to pack your own gown? However, if we think of it from the sense of like, you want to be comfortable and you want to like feel good about yourself because at that point in time you really don't feel great about yourself like you're in pain you're tired you're bloated you're everything's out of whack it's like I get it I totally get it I just am I gonna buy it Uh, I don't know I don't I still have my peri bottle I should probably throw that out that's kind of gross Oh, I'm. I mean, mine's still getting used every day. We're still, we're still fully in peri bottle land. I mean, I'm a year out, so I should probably chuck it. Uh, any other weird things? So I experienced. We talked about this. I experienced uh, a decent amount of hair loss postpartum, and uh, it's something I kind of heard of, yeah, but I didn't realize to the extent of which I would experience it. Um, and I got this information from the American Academy of Dermatologists and they said it's totally normal, of course, 
Um, it's common to happen about three months after you give birth, and it's due to the falling estrogen levels. Uh, they don't say that you're going bald or you're losing hair. They call it excessive hair shedding. So I thought that was funny. Like, they make it a little nicer. Um, but really, like, there's nothing you can do about it. They're like, yeah, you can change your shampoo and get a new hairstyle. Like, I was trying to grow my, I have a pixie haircut, and I was trying to grow my hair out. Nope. Two weeks after she was born, I was like, cut it off. Cut it off. Can't do it. Um, Because I started losing it pretty quickly. Like, everyone, you know, it says three months, but it was not three months for me. Um... And now I'm about 13, well, 14, oh God, 14 months, ah, um, 14 months out and it is starting to come back, but that's another thing. It's like, great. On top of being a fat blob, now all my hair is falling out. Like what else do we need? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I had, I, I haven't experienced that yet. Um, but this three months thing, but some women don't, so you might not. Yeah, I might get lucky. My hair is already so thin. It would be like, come on. And uh, yeah, I had I had read a blog um, where a woman was talking about um, my baby robbed me of my looks, I think. Oh, my God. <laughs> she was like, you know, I used to get hit on on the street. Now I'm invisible, which I feel that like I oh. feel like I don't know. I don't want to. I feel like uh, people used to look at me and now I feel like no one looks at me. Um, like I feel like I, I, I still look pregnant, but not cute pregnant where it's obvious that you're pregnant. I just look um, like three or four months pregnant where you just seem a little bloated and like you had, as one of my students said, a food baby. Oh. Um, and that's what it looks like. Um, what she said, it was what I told the, my students that I was pregnant. She said, I knew it. And I said, how did you know? And she said, well, at first I thought it was a food baby, but then it didn't oh. go away. <laughs> Kids. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, you feel like no one looks at you. But um, that woman in her blog, she had mentioned something about some sort of um, vitamins she was taking to try and re-stimulate her hair growth. Biotin probably or something. Yeah, that's what it was. So yeah. um, did you try anything with that? Uh, no, I also read something and I could be incorrect, but that biotin can increase your acne. Mm. Um. Yeah, I I wasn't about to trade one for the other. So I just kind of like, all right, let's let the balding happen. <laughs> yeah, they don't mention these sacrifices when they talk about the sacrifices of motherhood. They really don't. And we'll spend a whole other, like we're not touching on it. We're going to spend a whole nother podcast talking about like body image and weight gain and weight loss and expectations and all of that kind of stuff. That'll be another thing because that we can go on for a long time. Um Anything else you kind of experienced or are experiencing? Maybe I could be like, yeah, that happened to me. <laughs> I just um, am like, it's really, I know it's like this. I, I want to save it for the other one. I just feel um, like fat and um, I just want this weight to go away. And everyone tells me, um, oh, when you breastfeed, the weight will just fall right off. And I just, I got on the scale today and it was like, I was heavier than two days ago. And I'm like, what, what, no, we're going in the wrong direction. Yeah, that's not true at all. For and it might be true for some people, but everyone I've talked to, they're like, no, that's that's not true. I mean, you are burning more calories. However, I was hungrier breastfeeding than I was pregnant. Mm. You? I just can't stop shoving Culver's concrete mixer <laughs> in my mouth. So really, I need to be changing my eating habits. They're completely unhealthy. I just like continuously have this like psychological justification where it's like. You're pregnant. You can eat whatever you want. Uh, you just had a baby. Fuck it. 
eat some ice cream. Like I just, it's, I need to stop. I need to stop. It's my own. Yeah. But I was literally just going to say to you, you just had a baby. Fuck it. Eat your ice cream. Like, but it's like, I, I bitch about not losing weight. And it's like, well, what do you think when you eat 16 ounces of ice cream every day? What sounds do you really that? good. It is. <laughs> I can't stop. And every morning I wake up and I'm like, don't do it today. And then every evening I'm like, Culver's? <laughs> Want to do Dairy Queen today? What do you think? Should we mix it up? You know, it's a little farther of a drive to that drive through but <laughs> maybe we should. I want that ice cream. Oh. Yeah. It's disgusting. Body shaming myself. That's okay when I do it to myself. Is it? Is it though? Yeah, that's another. That's the. We'll save it for another podcast. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> The other thing we're going to talk about now, it's on the fence talking about it, but I'm going to talk about it because, you know, again, it's something that people don't talk about it because it's ewe and it's icky. But um, childbirth and incontinence is a real thing. Um, It's something that I definitely struggled with, especially right after she was born. Um, And I let's see, it was from the Center for Women's Public pelvic health sorry the center for women's pelvic health at ucla um said that one-third of women um for their first pregnancy have temporary stress incontinence uh that's what they call it and then every subsequent pregnancy you're three quarters more likely to develop it Mm. because um so there's damage to obviously the tissue while you're giving birth And then the other thing I thought was kind of interesting are there nerves in your pelvis that like send, um, you know, whatever signals. Thank you. Let me restay that. Mm -hmm. So there's nerves inside your pelvis that send signals to your brain. Like when you have to go to the bathroom, you have to pee or whatever. And those also get damaged Mm -hmm. while you're giving birth. So it's very common for those nerve connections to take a while to like reroute and reorganize um because it was terrible I remember and Mike like laughs at the story and I can laugh now but I was mortified it was the day after and all of a sudden I was like oh my god I have to pee and I try to get myself out of the bed I'm trying to waddle over to the bathroom nope just pee all over myself all over the bed and Mike's just looking at me while I'm doing it and I'm just like I can't stop. I feel like a horse. Like I'm just <laughs> peeing. It was the most, it was the weirdest thing in the world. And the nurse came in, she's like, okay. And just like cleaned up and like gave me you know, whatever. Like it was nothing, but like, apparently it's super common. And you know, there are doctors specifically for that thing. I went to a chiropractor after she was born and he was going to try to refer me to somebody who specifically works on that kind of stuff, like pelvic floor, um, exercises and pelvic floor uh strengthening you know like you can do kegels or whatnot but i think she was a lot more intensive she was a three-month waiting list oh my god and i am in rural northern illinois like so a lot of women were going to her wow so yeah it's uh it's a lot bigger of a thing that i i ever thought of did you ever go or did you say screw it i'm not waiting three months I said, screw it. And eventually, like, it's fine now. I just do, like, the mom sneeze where you kind of, like, you know. No, I don't. You haven't. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know anything. (laughs) Uh, When you have to sneeze, you kind of, like, cross your legs a little bit because, you know, you don't want to pee yourself, that kind of thing. So I hope I'm not the only one that does the mom sneeze. Please back me up on this. (laughs) I love these cute. There's all these cute names for all these horrible things. It's like 
Oh, pissing your pants while you sneeze? Mom sneeze. Right. It's cute. D- deep depression that you're, you're not sure if you'll ever climb out of? Baby blues. <laughs> you're just you're just supposed to be a glowing ball of happiness after you have your baby and there's nothing wrong and breastfeeding's perfect and you're happy and you want to have sex with your husband right away to have another baby and just keep it going and oh my God. Uh, so yeah, is there anything else that you want to talk about? I mean, I think that we've hit everything that we had planned to talk about. Um, but you know, if you had other symptoms of your postpartum recovery, postpartum anxiety, or postpartum depression, um, you know, you can email us, uh, at the seven day work week at gmail.com. And, uh, or you can talk to us on Instagram. Um, if you want to add uh, to the conversation, um, we'd love to hear from you um, because, of course, our experiences are just our experiences. Yep. And another thing that I just thought of, like, we didn't talk at all about, like, uh, breast changes or anything like that because we were going to do a whole other episode on breastfeeding. I think that's next, right? We're going to do breastfeeding next? Yep. Cool. So, yeah, we're going to do the whole breastfeeding versus formula feeding and all the juicy gossip and shaming and all that around it so yeah it'll be interesting because we actually have polarizing experiences yes we don't have the exact same yes so uh tune in for the for the back and forth so yeah like liz mentioned um if you want to talk to us you can reach out on social media we're on twitter and instagram at the seven day work week pod and then our website is seven day work week at podbean.com. So you can follow the podcast there, or you were also on Apple. Let's see. There's a list now. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. What's the one that Jason listens to? Uh, Stitcher. Yeah, we're on Stitcher now. Um, and we're not on Spotify yet because we need five episodes. Isn't that what it we is? We need five episodes. So soon, Spotify, soon mm-hmm. we will be on you. Uh, so yeah, I think that's it. All right. Thank you everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. And we will see you next time on the seven day work week. Yeah. See you next week. Bye. Bye.